Chapter 14. Your Lovely Firelight. Notes. Chapter title from Edna St. Vincent's Milanese poem. First figure. My candle burns at both ends. It will not last the night. But ah, my foes, and oh, my friends, it gives a lovely light. Sokka's got a problem. See, Sokka's the plan guy. He's always been the plan guy. He likes problems, because he can plan around problems. Problems are fun puzzles to solve, and they give him purpose. Now that Sokka's pretty much decided to straight up adopt Zuko into their little group, Zuko is a problem. Zuko is a problem because Sokka is invested, and his innate curiosity makes him naturally prone to poking things that should not be poked, including, but not limited to, banished, misguided, and confused firebending princes. Everything in Sokka demands Zuko be the villain, to fit in this little narrative he's been fed all his life. The little narrative he's crafted for himself. But Sokka's a man of logic and rational science, and all the evidence just doesn't hold up. Fragments of the last few days since they left the North Pole filter in his mind. The stiff, formal apology the Prince of the Fire Nation had given, once he heard of the loss that haunts their family. Conflicted golden eyes apologizing at Sokka's phantom pain, a poor imitation of his own screaming agony. Zuko's little smile as he cradles an even littler fox spirit in his hands, something almost sweet in his gaze. The way he'd, without a second thought, stepped into the path of spirit-stamped lightning just because Sokka was an innocent collateral in the fight between him and Azula. Yeah, if Sokka's honest with himself, Zuko hasn't been a bad guy for a while. A jerk, absolutely. A hothead awkward mess with no self-preservation instincts whatsoever, yes. There's got to be a guy worth being friends with in there somewhere. He just needs a little work. Sokka thinks back to their every interaction, seeing them with a new lens. How Zuko had always seemed so desperate, so determined to the point of absolute zero self-preservation. How he'd intentionally, or not, never taken the same path of cruelty and chaos as expected of other Fire Nation soldiers. His single-minded focus being the one and only Avatar and Honor. Did he ever realize that all that talk about Honor was actually misnamed as love? Curse Sokka's soft heart, but he knows he's a goner. As the hours drag on, Zuko becomes silent as a shadow, nothing like his previous shouty self. This is great news for their collective eardrums, but not so great for Sokka's heartstrings. He knows he's not the only one. Since the revelation, their group's collective sentiment of avoid the fire prince at all odds and make a fool out of him has swung completely the other way to, yep, we're keeping him. It's almost hilarious to watch the suspicion turning into slightly baffled looks Zuko gets when he's treated with any amount of decency. But it also makes Sokka want to punch something, preferably a jerk lord by the name of Ozai. Aang keeps trying to talk to Zuko, drawing him into random conversations that the prince doesn't grace with any form of reply, both shouty and not. Katara frets over his lightning injury and keeps trying to feed him. Here! Katara shoves a bowl of seal jerky at Zuko. Sokka doesn't even pout that the bull is fuller than his own, for once, even if seal jerky is his most favorite thing in the world. Zuko's learnt by now to just accept the bull, but he barely takes a few bites before quietly placing it down. Katara frowns, protective and healer instincts converging together to create one magnificent tsunami wave that Sokka would not want to be at the end of. He's pretty certain his sisters decided to expand their family by an extra, 
golden-eyed, bad-temper, firebending, head, when no one was looking. Sokka doesn't mind. Agrees with it, really. Now, how did they get Zuko on board? It's hard to watch the angry prince move like a ghost in the cramped space that is their saddle, because Sokka doesn't need a soul bond to tell him that Zuko's still in shock, unable to come to terms with the fact that his own asshole of a father wants him dead. He doesn't think Zuko's realized yet that all this time he's been shouting about regaining his honor. What he's really chasing is something much simpler, something every child should have the natural right to. So Sokka sits back for a bit to observe, and tries to plan. Watching Aang's face fall after another unsuccessful attempt at trying to talk to Zuko, followed by Katara trying to talk him into sleeping, is the last straw. Sokka decides enough is enough. He's the plan guy but some plans boil down to just facing the obstacle head-on. He goes across Zuko, the soul bond thrumming happily as it does every time they get close. It's become familiar and comforting, and Sokka's just not going to think about that too hard. Zuko is on the warpath. This time, his enemy is sleep, and his ally is silence. Zuko, you need to rest, Katara keeps insisting. Your body's still recovering from the lightning shock. You need as much rest as you can get. Zuko gazes at her without replying. His mind feels slow and hazy. It's been like this since waking up from his nightmare with a lightning wound in his chest and father's death warrant and Azula's voice crooning in his ears. Vaguely, Zuko wonders if he's in a prolonged state of shock, like a bucket of ice water had been thrown over his inner flame, and what's left is a sputtering mess. It's hard to come to terms with the reality that after all this time of yearning and studying and chasing, he no longer has a ticket home. Not even the Avatar would bring Zuko home now. This isn't the first time he shut down like this. Uncle had been really worried the first few days after the scar became a permanent mark of Zuko's lack of honor. That it had also somehow affected Zuko's vocal cords. It hadn't, of course. Zuko grew back into learning to use his voice and his lungs to shout at his men but it had given Uncle quite the scare. In any case, slipping back into this dissociative state is too familiar, and almost too easy, like donning old armor, like a drug. Zuko knows he should be a little concerned that he's falling back into this oblivion, but the silence isn't necessarily bad. Years of battling words with Azula, and always, always failing, has taught Zuko that if he says nothing, it can't be used against him. That's not a very fair thought, though because while Katara and Azula share some traits, both powerful little sisters, formidable and fiercely competent in any pursuit once they've made up their mind, the blue eyes hold a certain form of compassion in them that Amber Eyes never had. From the edge of his consciousness, he can feel a stronger thrum indicating Sokka moving closer, but he ignores it. Please just try to lie down, Katara's saying. We're really worried about you. Why? Zuko almost asks, because he doesn't really care. Zuko doesn't understand this, the concern these people are showing, and it makes him jumpy. Surely there's something behind all of this, a trick that's going to come up and bite him. He's just waiting for it to come to light. You know we won't try to hurt you, right? Sokka adds as he comes closer. You literally saved my life, whether you meant to or not, and we didn't just bring you back from the brink of death to have you die from lack of resting. And the thing is, Zuko knows. But he doesn't understand. How can these people who are meant to be his enemies... No, he doesn't care what Aang says about enemyship being two-way. It doesn't work like that. 
who he's doggedly chased halfway across the world, treat him so... kindly. Zuko doesn't even think Ozai's treated him this kindly. The Water Tribe boy makes a wounded noise from where he sat across from Zuko, and Zuko's breath seizes. How can he be so stupid? What if Sokka heard all of that? What if he... Dude, calm down, Sokka says aloud, but his voice and eyes are soft in a way that makes Zuko extremely uncomfortable, and he scuffles back into the saddle. I'm not going to use anything against you, okay? It sucks to be stuck like this, and we can't control what we see or hear, but I can at least try to pretend I don't see what I'm not meant to see. Katara's watching their interaction in an odd mix of amusement and wariness. Her manner has been somewhat different since Zuko's nightmare, which Zuko detests with every fiber of his being, but can't do anything about. It's got to be hard for both of you, Katara says sympathetically, in a way that makes him want to crawl out of his skin. I'd hate for someone to be able to hear and see my thoughts. Horrifyingly, Zuko's one remaining tear duct almost waters at the empathy, and he turns his gaze away, not wanting them to see. It's a lost cause with Sokka, who can feel all of Zuko's emotions through the stupid soul bond, but he can at least preserve his dignity with the others. He misses the hopeful glance Katara trades with Sokka, encouraged at more of a reaction from Zuko than they've had in a while. Hey, Katara, I think Aang needs some help with steering Appa. Why don't you go help him? Sokka suggests, in a wildly transparent attempt at getting them time alone. Zuko is immediately alarmed, and swings his gaze back in time to see Katara shooting her brother a look that is equal parts exasperated and amused as she gets up. Please try to get him to sleep. He's going to kill over. Zuko hears her whisper to Sokka, which makes him bristle. He wants to snap at her not to talk about him as if he isn't right here. But then he hasn't really given her much indication that he's not just a walking vegetable. So? Sokka says casually. What's your favorite vegetable? What? Zuko stares, something of the haze slipping away. He doesn't know if it's the soul bond or if it's Sokka's bizarre approach. But either way, he's astonished to find that his heartbeat is less loud in his ears, and the submerged quality of the world seems to recede. Uncle would be happy if he knew that they'd finally found something that works to pull Zuko out of his dissociative state, but Zuko isn't happy that it involves the enemy. Sokka waits patiently, like it's the most normal thing in the world to ask. I'm not too fond of them. I'm a meat and sarcasm kind of guy, see? But I don't mind pickled seaweed if it's on the table. Special delicacy of the South. That sounds absolutely horrible, Zuko thinks. Sokka beams so brightly that it hurts to look at. There you are, the water tribe boy murmurs. That's the jerkbender I know. Stop calling me that. Make me. Sokka waggles his eyebrows, and though the words are a challenge, the gesture is teasing, even fond. It makes Zuko almost warm, like some of the ice shock he's been in is beginning to thaw. Sokka frowns for a moment, his eyes narrowing in focus, and Zuko jumps when the next part of their conversation reverberates not through the air, but through Zuko's mind. Do you prefer to talk this way for now, then? Zuko blinks. He doesn't understand. If you prefer me to stay out of your head, we can just talk like this. Sokka says out loud. Or like this. The next part of the words echo in their mental space again. Why are you asking me? Dude, you literally saved my life, Sokka says. The least I can do is make sure I don't make you uncomfortable, yeah? I'm just trying to... to show you some respect. 
respect. Fresh from the nightmare and dogged by fatigue, the very word makes Zuko flinch, and then he wants to die of shame. Sokka sees it, probably feels it too, and his mouth tightens. Shit, sorry, I... It's fine, Zuko forces out mentally. It is not fine, not in the slightest. He hates that Sokka knows. Hates that the knowledge of what happened had been forced out of Zuko's hand into the hands of someone who had no right to know. It's not fair that Zuko didn't get to choose who was privy to the memory of his greatest shame, father's disappointment in him. But then, life has never been fair. It just is. Sokka lets out a sigh, and the other end of their soul bond floods with something like determination. I can't take this anymore. Zuko, you know your father's wrong, right? Not the most eloquent Sokka's been, but, well, whatever. Zuko hasn't been eloquent in the past two days, Sokka thinks. He doesn't get to judge. Zuko's golden eyes, somewhat ethereal in the moonlight, flicker. What? what The other boy's mental thoughts come to a stutter. Sokka can feel the firebender's emotions drifting through their bond, and it's like watching something choked off and held down, slowly coming back to life. Zuko clearly prefers to communicate in thought form for now and Sokka lets him. At least they can communicate in some way. Yes, the soul bond has some good use after all. Your father, Sokka says clearly, willing all the honesty and belief he has into his own words, because he's pretty sure someone needs to spell this out for Zuko, is wrong. What are you talking about? Zuko frowns, a little of the familiar rage sparking like the idea is preposterous, and that hurts Sokka's heart just a little more. My father is the Fire Lord. Sure, like that explains everything. Sokka rolls his eyes. Zuko must have sensed the sheer skepticism Sokka harbors right then. This thought, because the glare pulls deeper. The Fire Lord is always right, Zuko insists, though his- The Fire Lord is always right, Zuko insists, though his voice trembles. It was my fault. Father only gave me what I deserved. No, Sokka almost shouts then makes an effort to tone down his voice at the way Zuko both flinches and tries to glare defiantly, like the stubborn little idiot he is. It might have been endearing if it wasn't so infuriating. What your father did to you was cruel and it was wrong, Sokka says bluntly, feeling how the other boy shook at every emphasis. You're his son. He shouldn't have hurt his own child. He shouldn't have banished you and he definitely shouldn't have sentenced you to death. There's a hint of that familiar temper coming to the surface. You know nothing. You're just a water tribe savage. Sokka's own temper begins to rise at the incendiary comment, but he clamps down on it. Enough time being soul-bonded has taught him that Zuko uses anger as a defense mechanism, and he resorts to being even more of a dick when he's anxious. I know exactly what you're trying to do, you jerkbender, and I'm not playing into it. Zuko's eyes widen a little. You know nothing, he repeats, trying to rally and Sokka takes the opportunity to push. Oh yeah? Sokka raises an eyebrow, playing it cool. It's his turn to feel dark satisfaction when he senses through the soul bond Zuko's irritation that the taunt didn't work. I know that fathers don't mutilate their sons for speaking out of turn, he says lovely, and sees the minute flinch when it comes. He knows it's harsh, and that's why he's not raising his voice. But he's not going to sugarcoat it either, because Zuko needs to hear this. I deserved it. I was disrespectful and spoke out of turn. Zuko rasps, voice a little rough from disuse. 
and any relief Sokka feels at finally hearing the firebender speak is eclipsed by outrage at what was being said. Father had to. You were standing up for your own people, like a true leader should, Sokka interrupts. Their mental channel is wide open now, which means Zuko's frustration and confusion bleeds into his own, until he can no longer tell which emotions are whose, only amplifying the embers of each other's ire, like your father should have. The Fire Lord is Agni's living representation in this world, Zuko recites like a textbook, and Sokka has to try really hard not to roll his eyes again. He has reasons beyond our understanding, that we are not privy to, and wisdom we do not know of, and his decree is always right and just. Okay, Sokka may not have known Zuko for very long, and most of their acquaintance consisted of being on opposite sides of a century-long conflict, but even he can tell that was bizarre level's obedience for someone who's prone to rebelling at the slightest sign of authority. Save me from the drivel, please, Sokka interrupts, snorting. Try telling that to all of the airbenders and airbisons, to all of the prisoners of war, to my mom. Oh, right, you can't, because they're all dead. He's aware of Aang and Gitara looking their way, but it's beyond him to explain. The miasma of guilt, self-loathing, and utter confusion that tears through Zuko right now is so strong that even Sokka, who only gets the slightest impression of it, feels like vomiting. I'm sorry, Zuko says haltingly face stricken, and oh no, this is not where Sokka wanted to take the conversation at all. He curses. Save it, Sokka repeats. This was going far south of what he wanted to achieve, so he tries to pull himself back to their objective at hand. That, I swear upon my honor, I... Honor, that's it! Okay, look, Sokka says with a flash of inspiration. You're all about honor, right? Do you think it was honorable that the general wanted to use fresh, inexperienced children as bait for the greater good of the Fire Nation? The last part came out with quotation marks. Zuko looks shocked. Of course it wasn't honorable, he hisses. It was a betrayal. But the Fire Lord agreed with the general, right? Sokka asks. So the Fire Lord wasn't acting honorable, and therefore he was wrong. I... that's not how it works. Then how does it work? Sokka pushes relentlessly. Do you think it was right to use them as a sacrifice? Do you think they all deserve to die for the greater good? No! So, how do you think you deserve to be punished for speaking up to protect them? I... it's not like that! Zuko looks truly flustered, his eyes flickering in confusion for a moment, before he rallies with a scowl. In the heat of the moment, Sokka thinks it's almost a cute look on him, if only it wasn't clear that they're both one breath away from jumping at each other's throat. Stop playing games, he demands, evading the issue at hand. Sokka sighs and thinks the old man he glimpsed in Zuko's memories must have had more patience than a literal angel. It's not a game, Zuko. It's a simple question. Which is it? Your father is right for burning you, because you were wrong for speaking out of turn, which means those kid soldiers deserve to die for the glory of the Fire Nation. Or, your father is wrong for burning you, for doing what's right, because all those lives meant something. I... I don't... You don't know? Sokka pushes. Maybe he's being cruel, but Zuko's a big boy. He can take it. You knew it at barely thirteen, what was right and what was wrong. So why not now? What changed? Did Daddy scare you off for good? Honor means nothing to you anymore because Daddy said you had none? Finally, a hint of the temper flares. You have no idea what you're talking about! Zuko growls. 
His tone has turned low, vibrating with danger. He's breathing hard now, fists clenching and unclenching. Oh-ho, now they were getting somewhere. Far from scaring Sokka, the familiar rage that filled those golden eyes emboldens him. Sokka's carried away by his sense of righteousness, and maybe just a little bit of desperation to save the constantly infuriating but fundamentally good person in front of him. If only Sokka can just get through. You already know what is right. You always knew. You don't have to push it away. Defending life is never wrong, and you were right to do it. You weren't disrespectful. Zuko flounders and repeats again, because clearly he has no real argument and they both know it. Stop it! You have no idea what you're talking about! I was there, Sokka says. I watched it happen, didn't I? Without my permission! Zuko's nearly incoherent. His eyes blaze with that golden fire that Sokka can't help think attractive. Even as he spits, you had no right! In that moment, another piece falls into place. That's why you're not sleeping, Sokka realizes. You're afraid it's going to happen again. I'm not afraid! Despite his words, Zuko looks terrified now, like all his walls are crumbling, and Sokka feels the phantom sensation of walls closing around him. Zuko doesn't look like he's breathing properly, and it's leaving impressions on Sokka. It's okay to be... Shut the fuck up! Zuko snarls. I don't want your meaningless platitudes! Sokka breathes in, breathes out, thinks of a cornered baby otter cat, snarling and spitting rapidly before its life was taken. Okay he concedes placatingly. You're not afraid. Got it. Even so, Sokka's mind begins to spin. Zuko's avoiding sleep because he doesn't want Sokka seeing his nightmares again. It's so obvious, and such a fair point that Sokka's kicking himself for not realizing it sooner. In his place, he wouldn't have wanted anyone to see his own dreams. Here, Sokka tries. Why don't you try to sleep while I stay awake? Can't dream your dream if I'm not asleep enough to dream, right? Zuko looks at him warily. I'd rather stay awake. You're going to kill yourself, Sokka tells him, and pretends he doesn't hear the good, might as well, that crosses the other's mind. That is a lot to unpack, and is a conversation for another day. They sit in silence for some time after, Sokka playing with the water from Katara's water skin, while Zuko stares out into the distance. Despite the soul bond thrumming stronger than before, Sokka feels even further from the firebender across from him than he ever has, the chasm across them wider and more impossible to bridge than ever.